0: a special pleasure to be learning with you this evening. It's lovely to see each and every one of you. And um, what we're going to be doing this evening is trying to get a better sense for ourselves and for the others who are going to be with us during our upcoming Seder, which is going to be coming in just a short week. Just a short week we're going to be experiencing this all ourselves. So I think that be, it, it, it behooves us to get a, sense of, uh, get a sense of awareness of what's going on. And this year went in a few stages. I at the beginning thought that let's go through a few ideas, stage by stage, and we'll get ideas as we go along. It'll be something we can take home. And we will do that. But I, got, I was so incredibly taken up by understanding the structure that I got of that, I felt that it would be important to understand it for ourselves. And as we go, we'll get the stages a- along the way. First thing is, is let's understand what we are doing. Let's get the mission statement before we understand the details. Right, you walk into, an, into into an office. You want to engage in some sort of business. You want to understand what it's about, what it's supposed to be doing, what is what is the function of this company, what is the what is the mission of the evening, the reason we stand, the reason we sit around the table with our family is because the Torah told us. What are the, what are the words the Torah says? <laughs> you shall tell your children on that day on that day saying. Now, the word Lahagid means, as translated, means, to, means what? And you shall tell. Right now, that happens to be, in Hebrew, there are a number of words that could be used for that same word. You could say, There's a many, many options as to what verb to use in terms of the telling. The has a particular connotation. And that connotation, in the words of Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, is that it comes from the root... Gid. What's a Gid? What's the translation of the word Gid? Gid is a sinew or a tendon. And a tendon is a very unique property and that is that it joins the bones and the meat of the body. The point, perhaps, of the Seder is this is not simply telling, this is joining. The point of this experience is not simply to pontificate, to think, to celebrate ideas. It's about joining, it's about connecting. You're connecting one generation and the next. And the next could mean ahead and behind as well. That's the point. You could have three, four generations at one Seder. The point is connecting. So let's start with the connections. What I'd like to do with you is the following. Is The Haggadah, for many, is a, ve- a very long string of words, paragraph after paragraph after paragraph. What I'd like to do is try to make, uh, make sense of it. So just just for... The sake of, of perspective, we can see over there in the corner. Um, the, uh, for the sake of perspective, for those listening um, to the recording afterwards, the PowerPoint will be attached to the recording. So the power, uh, so just there's a we have a certain amount of words. This okay, there's, there's, the, there's the the Haggadah is a long amount of words, p- roughly the size of Pesukim. By the first part of the Hagada, we're we're managing. Then comes then comes Arami Avodavie and the Pesukim. by that point in time, it's becoming a little more difficult. And then finally, at the end, when you're getting to at the, get the end of um, the three mitzvahs, at that point in time, we're all in a very comfortable position, which is somewhere between vertical and horizontal. and The problem is is that there's so much to gain from this experience that it's worth trying to understand what exactly is going on with all these different, um, all these different words. Um, so let's start off. The, the key to this, the key to trying to understand is really. Actually, in the mission itself. The mission teaches us, if everybody has a source, if, if you do not, there's extras over here, if anybody needs. Dr. Sun, if, need, anybody, if anybody needs, there's extras over here. The mission source Saul says the following. This is a mission in Psachim, very clear. But let's try to understand, let's try to um, associate, delineate the different sections to be able to understand the greater context. Um, maybe we could just send the sources towards the door, just in case anybody needs them. so Without having to worry about coming up. The mission tells us the following. Now, let's try to focus on <coughs> what, the, what the structure is over here. The mission tells us the following. After pouring the second cup, so we get this in the instructions. And here the son asks his father. If the child does not have the sufficient knowledge, then his father teaches him. And now here are the questions. And here are the questions. And the Gemara and the, the Mishnah lists all the questions that the father the child will ask. Skipping down four lines because we're going to be hearing this in great detail in just a week's time, we go, we're going to uh, go to the second last line of this Mishnah, which is in the middle of the line, starting with the word Ulefi. Ulefi dato shelben, Aviv milamdoi. and to the no, to the knowledge of the son, why the father will teach him. Maschil b'gnus, He begins with the more disgraceful elements. And concludes with the more um, the more beautiful, the, the enchanting, the salvation aspects of the story. And you take the section of Arami Ovedavi, which is a section in Dvarim, we'll discuss in a moment, and you finish learning that Darshan is to expound outwards that passion till the end. And finally, going on to the next Mishnah for just the first line, Rabban Gamliel Oya Emer, and the person needs to mention three things. This should sound familiar. This is part of the Haggadah. The person needs to say three things on Pesach, and what are they? And these are Elohim, Pesach, Matzah, umaro. And then he explains what the significance of each are. So just to delineate right over here, in uh, in terms of in terms of what the mission is telling us, in the overview at the bottom, I just outlined the fact that you have what the Mishnah is telling us, you have questions. Then you have the beginning of disgrace and ending with praise. And finally, then we talk about expounding the section of Arami Ovid Ovi and Ramon Gamliel. So if we look at the Seder, this only explains a certain amount of things. Let's take a look. So first of all, in what we discussed before, Manishtana is understood. right? So the Manishtana, that section, is already explained in the Mishnah. The Mishnah actually goes to explain that text. Let's take it one step further. The Mishnah then tells us that we start with the Gnus. We start with a disgrace. What disgrace? It happens to be that the disgrace is actually a matter of contention. The Gomorrah itself in source two says, omar, <laughs> our forefathers were servers of idolatry. <laughs> Shmuel says that it we were in sl- we are in servitude. And those present the two aspects of Genus. So, what, the, what we've covered up till now is the following. We know Manishtana. The Mishnah has told us there is an aspect of disgrace which is found in Avodem And then we have, uh, we have the Mitrila of So, the long paragraph, Mitrila Avdei is what we know. More than that, we know that Arami oved avi. so we have the whole full section which describes Arami oved avi, And finally, Rabban Gamliel and his three things. But there's a lot of white spaces in between. First of all, what is the even the connection, what is the trajectory of the Mishnah, and moreover, there seems to be a lot of things left out of what the Mishnah is describing which are actually part of the canon of our Haggadah as number one. Let's Let's start methodologically and try to understand this. So, first of all, we're told a very fascinating thing. The Mishnah says that we always need to start by questioning. And in fact, there are many practices in the Haggadah which are about creating questions even. Sometimes even without even creating an answer. Whenever we are stuck, you say, it's just because you need to have the kids asking, right? But there, there, there are many practices that are throughout the garden, to initiate, to try to create questioning. And in fact, the garden starts with questions. Manishtana. But now, the significance of that. The significance of that is, is, is very, very important. And that is, is that although on a nightly basis, here in the this, in this shul just a few minutes ago, we all said... We had, we said Zecheli Yetzirah Mitzrayim. At the end of Kriyashma we said, we talked about the fact that we remember when we had the Sisters or when we talk about the mitzvah, that it was Zecheli Yetzirah Mitzrayim. Many things we do in life are Zecheli Mitzrayim. We say it in the morning, we say it in the evening. What's special about the night of, of uh, Pesach? There's something you were doing which is much more, much more significant on the night of Pesach. And, and the you says Mitzrayim, one of the aspects of it is the fact that we ask about it. We don't just talk about it, we ask. Asking is so significant because if you're not going to ask, you're never going to change. If you're satiated with the situation you're in and you don't question what's out there, you're never going to get too out there. I have a brother-in-law who who learns in Israel and and he he related a particular incident when there was a group of people. It was a people, less observant people, who had come to Israel to visit and who happened to be on Shavuos. And they were walking around, and they brought them in at 2 o'clock in the morning to the base medrash, which was a very, very packed base medrash. And it's quite moving when you, see, uh, when you see at 2, 3 in the morning, hundreds of people, just as if it's the midday, learning and talking and discussing. It's very fascinating to see. They bring in this group who really haven't experienced this type of thing before. And they say, and, and he said to one of the visitors, Don't you think it's strange that all these people are involved in archaic texts of 2,000 years ago, debating them as if it was the, re- the newspaper report relating to the elections tomorrow, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And the man turned to him and said, I don't know, it's all right with me. <laughs> and he said, that was the problem. You see, when, a pro- when you have a problem, when you have a question, when, when, when there's something which piques your curiosity, <coughs> okay, now there's something to discuss. There's something you can talk about. If you're not interested, if you accept it's laissez faire about everything, there's no conversation to be had. And that's something which slaves never have. A slave will never have the ability to question their status quo, to question what is beyond. We start off tonight talking about questioning. Says Rav Rimon, Rav Yosef Sirimon, Questioning is our freedom, is our ability to move and change from where we are. And that's why it is that, Megidda, that the, the Haggadah itself is so focused. So pivotal around questions itself. It's our ability to get beyond the here and now. But let's take it a little further. That's one aspect. Not only is it questions, the, the Haggadah then says that we've got this notion of Masril Bignus and Messiah B'Shevach. We have to talk about disgrace, then praise. Now, it's a long night. Right? It's a long night. If we were to cut to the chase, it would be a shor- much shorter night. We'd avoid a lot of the, a lot of the discussions that we we're having. Why is that so significant? Why do we need to go all the way back? Two backs, maybe to our servitude in Egypt, maybe to even earlier our humble beginnings as um of Why do we need to even do that? Perhaps the notion is context. You see, there was, there's a uh, story which I thank um, uh, Ruvain Brand, my previous Rosh Kollel, from pointing out to me in the book by David Pink called To Sell Is, to, is, to, is Human. And he has a story about a person called Rosa Reeves, who is walking through a park and he sees a, uh, he sees a blind man. When the blind man is sitting there on the park bench, and he has a sign which says the following the Sign says, for those of you who cannot see it, it says, I am blind. And people were walking by, and one or two people were throwing a cent a dime there, maybe a quarter even. Ross Reeves turns to his colleague who's next to him and says, You know, I wager that I can add four words to his sign which will increase fourfold what he is getting. He says, okay. So he he takes the sign, he asks the man, and he said, do you mind if I take this? And he says, not at all, you know, what can I lose? And he wrote (coughs) the following words, I'm going to write them now. He says three words, which are four words, which are hard to see in my handwriting. And what happened was people started coming by, and the the money started landing in, dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, and people just kept on giving and the man turned to one of the person's people and he said, you mind telling me what's written on my son? And he said, What's written on my son is the following. It is springtime and I am blind. What he did was, well, what, what was, what was Rose effectively doing to this man? He's not describing the situation, he was contextualizing the situation. Do You see, humans have an ability to be able to appreciate something only in greater context. What he was doing was shedding a greater context. You see, when you're walking through the park and you're experiencing the beautiful sunshine, the wind bree- breezing gently against your tree- cheek and the blossoms swaying in the wind. And then you see somebody who says, it's springtime and I'm blind. You have a greater appreciation situation therein. So, got says, we're not going to just talk about where we got to. got says, we're going to describe where we came from. Because when you see it in context, when you see the whole picture, then you get a sense of where, what it really means. What it really means. Two fundamental principles of the Mishnah shares with One is questions, number two is Now let's take it a little further. So, now, as, as, as I as we pointed out just a little bit beforehand, it's clear that the Haggadah itself is made up. There's a certain structure to it. There is the Manishtana, there is beginning with the disgrace, which could mean one of two things, and then we talk about Arami Oved Avi, and finally Ravan Gamliel, and three things. That's all we're told. But it happens to be much richer. Much more beautiful in the fact that I would hope that in just a few minutes' time you'll see that there is an incredible structure over here. There are three Haggadahs consecutively following uh, one, following the other, in the most direct and specific pattern. I'd like to share with you the thoughts of Yosef Tsirimon, Raviats, phenomenal teacher and organizer in the the Holy Land. He is very involved in Job Katif, in fact. And he was here recently, a year ago, in Chicago, where the the fortune of being able to share in his Torah. And you say he has a very phenomenal idea about structure. So bear with me for a moment. He has a phenomenal point about structure as a whole. Let's take it, let's take it the following. If we look at the Agada once again, let's start, let's, start, let's start anew. We're told that we need to start off with our context. Two options of what context could mean. It could mean our servitude in Egypt. That's one option. Story number one. Or we could talk about story number two. That in the beginning, that at the beginning we had humble beginnings and you know when it talked about Avraham and his parents, we came from humble beginnings on a spiritual level. Fascinating. What's interesting is, let's focus for a moment on the questions which get to that story. What is the question which stimulates Avodimayinu, which begins the entire process of uh, Avodimayinu. Manishtana, right? That's why Manishtana directly precedes what is, what is going on over here. However, what's fascinating is, is there are four questions that precede Shmuel's Haggadah, but there are another four questions which precede Rav's Hagada. Did you not notice that the questions of the four sons directly precede our humble beginnings, as of the Avodah Zahra. Isn't that fascinating? Four questions on Manishtana, and then we have Avodim and then suddenly four questions from the four sons, and then the second option of what our original humble beginnings were on a spiritual level. But let's take it further. Essentially, what are Raven and Oshmul arguing about when they debate whether it's going to be it, if it was our physical servitude in Egypt or our beginnings as idol worshippers, what's essentially at the core of that argument would you think? Right, it's not just time. There's something else distinguishing between them. What is that? What do they mean by time? Good night. Okay, so let's uh, take it's it that further. Physical versus spiritual. Okay, so let so so meaning when defining disgrace, our original disgrace, are we talking about how we were impoverished physically? Or are we talking about our destitute, a destitute, um, a destitute um, state on a spiritual level, right? If you're talking about destitute, you really want to really want to contextualize it. Says Rav, take it all the way back to where we started, really, our humble beginnings. Look at Avram's family. That's what the argument is. Now look at the questions. The questions of the manischtan are all noticing things that are going on right here and now, very physical. What's this? Why are we doing this? Why are we eating that? Why are we leaning this way? What are the questions of the four sons? That precede Rav's Hagada, the spiritual underpinnings, are all about the workings of Ma'avorazas Lachem, Chukim and Mishpatem. Right? There's much more. The answers. It's much more of a spiritual nature, which precede. We'll call it the second Hagada of Rav. In fact, interestingly enough, it's historically debated whether there were actually two Hagadas. Meaning, up to the point that we joined the two, was there one version of that Rav had and one version which Shmuel had in Israel and in Babylon? And then they were later fused, Or that. No, the question was, what came first? That's the debate historically, fascinatingly enough. But the point being is that there might be two distinct uh, two, two distinct, Hagorahs uh, distinct, uh, over here with their own pattern. But I tell you, let's take it one step further. There's a questions, questions, story, story. But both of them end in the same way too. You see, one of the other points which distinguishes this night the night that we're about to engage in, and the rest of the year. there are many, many. Li- there's a list of many different things that distinguish our regular mentioning Yitzhia Mitzrayim and, uh, and the specific night of the Seder. One of them is, suggests Rav Soloveitchik, one of them is, is that because we're living it, as I heard beforehand, because we're living the experience, it generates a spontaneous result. It generates the fact that you think, wow, thank you. When I mention it on a daily basis, it becomes part of my vocabulary. When I talk about you, see Mr. Shahim, okay, that is part of our nature. On this night, when we talk about it in great detail, what are you doing? You're trying to engender, you're trying to cultivate a sense of appreciation. And of course, that's why at the end of this pattern of three, there is, in fact, Thanksgiving. And notice that they're exactly the same almost. Take a look at this. We have at the end of the questions, Manishthana Avadimayinu, just after a section of, a, of two short, short stories, which are very fascinating in and of themselves. Might be defining the parameters of where and when we do this. We have Baruch Hamakom, Baruchu. Blessed is Hashem, blessed is He. Notice the exact parallel phrase after the Haggadah of Rav. Baruch Shomer after Yisrael, Baruchu Shakolosh, Baruchu We thank Hashem in both, in both trajectories. In Rav Zaggad and Shmuel Zaggadah, we start with the questions. We talk about the story, different stories, and we end up saying, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem in these two two instances. We call it a triad. Question, story, thanks. Question, story, thanks, repeat it twice. It's almost like the parallel one next to each other. The problem is when you've got a haggadah with lots lots of explanation at the bottom in English or Hebrew, you don't get the sense of flow. You get the points. There's a much bigger picture going on over here. Let's take it further. That only explains the beginning, right? Let's take a little, a, a little further. Notice that in the whole section of Arami Ovid Ovi, in fact, there really are only four Psukim. There really are only four Psukim. Those four Psukim come from Pasha's Kisava at the beginning. Fascinatingly enough, why there, of all places? Um, very fascinating discussion in and of itself. Um, and we, da- we darshan out, we expound from those Psukim the greater substance of the Agada. We talk about, notice that each Pasuk has its own theme. It talks about how we arrived there, Pasek 1. Pasek 2 is how bad they did to us. Pasek 3 is we called out to Hashem. And Pasek 4 is Hashem saved us. There are four specific themes in that story. But notice again, by the way, that it also starts with a question. This section of the, the Agata also says, go, out, go find out what did Lovon do? We have our question, and then we have our story again. Do you, see, do, you see, do you see again? It's the same pattern. We have our question and then our story. The story happens to be a very long story. And in discussing what the, how Hashem took us out, we have also the fact of how many plagues, how many plagues of the sea. That's all expounding the end of that postage over there. And then, of course, at the end of that, we have Dayenu, which is the closing cap of that section, which has our Thanksgiving. Because if we remember the pattern, the pattern is question, story, Thanksgiving. We have the same thing over here. Just a little extended in the middle. Question, story, thanksgiving. And then finally, the last part. Rabbi Gamliel also says the following. He says, there's three things you need to say, but how does he start off? He says, Pesach al Shuma. He questions, why is that we need each one of these? He explains why we need, we need each of it. We have a story about the Pesach, about the Matzah, about the Maror. And then at the end we say, If you really want to look at this in the bigger picture, let's take this back. We have Agada 1a. Which is essentially Shmuel talking starting with Manishtana, the story, and then finally the thanksgiving of Baruch We have Agada 1b, which is Rav Zagara, questions of the four sons. Then we talk about our humble beginnings on a spiritual level and the closing with the thanksgiving, again, of Ahisha under the Torah, which stood through us for all the generations. Then we have Agada 2. 2 is very long. It's also got a question and a story and a thanksgiving, but it ends with Dayen. That's all que- That's Haggadah 2. Same pattern. And finally we have Haggadah number 3, which is Rav Gabriel, with three short question stories and thanksgivings at the end. And the question is, why do we need three Haggadahs then? Essentially they all get into the same point. Each one of these Haggadahs is telling us a question, a story, and a thanksgiving in the same pattern. So why all of them? Why is it necessary to have this extended description of the same thing through different means? And this is the beauty. This is where the beauty comes in. The Mishnah does tell us a very fascinating line. And this line, it perhaps, is uh, the underlying key, key component of everything we're doing this night. And that is, in the first source, we read it before, the second last line of the first Mishnah. Ulufidah toysheh Ben. According to the knowledge or the capabilities the capabilities of learning that the child has, that, in tandem with that, is how the parent teaches. By the way, this is before 21st century psychology and research, differentiated um, education, right here, right here. Khazar were masters in education, our people were built on education and it's still, it is still the symbol and the basis of our people, understanding education, and that it works differently for different people. Rambam and Rashi suggest fascinatingly different approaches as to how that is expressed. Rashi, on the Torah, says, the Rashi is bothered why it is that the Torah keeps us asking. The Torah presents four questions. Where do we get the four sons from? The Torah talks about your children asking you four times. So Rashi is already bothered, and he says, wait a second, why do we have so many questions? Rashi says in Source 3, This is the top page, too. We're already told that when you come to the land, your children are going to ask you. Why does the Pasuk repeat itself, asking us typically the same question? He says, "There's, there's, there's nuances in it. In the first section, the question was framed as, what is this work for you? As we discussed in the Haggadah. It's descri- the question is in such a way that he excludes himself. That's one understanding of what denotes him as Russia. Now here it's talking about the child who doesn't understand. But, says Rashi, <coughs> the Torah is teaching us <speaking> When it comes to some children who don't know how to ask, what do you do? You teach them an agar- Agarata. You teach them a story. Because to them, that is their portal of access to the information. is a story. That might be their way in. The Rambam in describing the same differentiated um, education says a little differently. Rambam in source 4 says, Mitzvah levanim v'afilu You should teach your children, even if they do not ask, You should teach your children, L'fidato shal ben This is now paraphrasing the Mishnah. The the knowledge of the child, the father will teach. How is this so? Now remember, at the time of the Rambam, we're not post post the civil war right here. The Rambam says that that you you motion to the child and you say, like the slave standing in the, the outside room, that's what we were. Meaning what's the Rambam understanding is, according to the knowledge of the child, is you use visual education. You explain to him in the terms that he understands. And there's somebody right outside the door you can, you can relate to as being a slave. We were like that, says the Rambam. And then he says, If he was a learned child, You tell him all the details. If he's more learned, then you go into the details, you talk about how many miracles and what's going on. You see over here, between the Rashi and the Rambam, you already get three different types of children. You get the type of child who needs to hear stories, because he's not going to really be initiated through his own, um, his own curiosity. Then you have a child, the way the Rambam describes it is maybe he doesn't even have, the storytelling is not his thing, he's more of a visual learner. So you talk, you talk to him in terms of real, right here and now. And then you have the child who's more adept. A child who has the ability, he wants to, he's analytical, he's interested, he's curious, you need to give him a little more, says the Rambam. Isn't it fascinating that maybe that's why the, the Haggadah in it, the same structure is repeated three times? The first section is about stories, you know, you start off with questions, and then a little bit of, are of, of our, our, we putting things in context, we're giving the springtime, so to speak, in the opposite of, of the Haggadah at the beginning, we're telling a story, that's child number one, the child who doesn't necessarily have an access otherwise. The second one is for the more advanced, interestingly enough, it's expounding. You take a pasuk, you see, you think you've got a pasuk over here, let's expound, let's take apart every single verse or, pa- or phrase within this pasuk. Because some children need that. You can't just give them the story, you need to give them something more. The men says, but remember, you need to say, al And point to it. And, he t- and how does he access the story? He accesses the story through the three things you have on your plate. Is that unbelievable? So you have a 1, 2, and 3. The same story. The same pattern of question, story, thanksgiving. But expressed through three different mediums. Why? Because the Mishnah says, <laughs> It depends on who the child is. And you know what? We're all different children in that respect. In, in all personality differentiations. Um, um, uh, awareness. Whether, whether it be a neogram. Whether it be Myers-Briggs. Nobody's one fixed character. There's a lot of different differentiation within people, and we all appreciate some aspect of this. But at least you see over here, this is not a hodgepodge of ideas. This is a very calculated, very specific process with which we're working. Now let's get a little bit to the details. That's just, that's just in terms of just appreciating the bigger picture. Now let's, let's, take, let's, let's focus on this. We don't have too much time. But I'd like to focus on, uh, with you on one or two fascinating details along the way. One detail is the following. You'll notice that there are a lot of fours in the in the Megillah, right? says, what are the fours that we recognize? Four questions, four sons, four cups. There's another, there's another four. four. What was that? Arba, Arba. Arba. Oh, very good. We're going to the end, fascinating. You see, I thought everyone was asleep by then, right? Okay, yeah. And then, and then, but there's like four letters of Gullah, which relate to the four cups as well. There's also another four as well. This is a much more tougher one to know. What was that? Oh, that's interesting that it kind of comes out of the... I, I, I didn't focus on that. But notice beforehand, Arami over over ears? How many psukim? Four psukim. It happens to be very fascinatingly enough, our Jonathan Sachs points out, that they're all actually fives. Isn't this fascinating? Let's take, let's take them one by one. It happens to be when you read in the Mishnah, in the Manishtana, what the Manishtana was, there's another question which we don't actually mention. The Mishnah says in the following, in... Uh, this is, a, this is again back in Source 1, on the third line. The third line in the Mishnah says, alelos, Second word on the third line, alelos, on all the other nights, We have any uh, meat which is treated in any way, whether it be cooked, bro- uh, roasted, baked. But tonight, culottes, it's only roasted. That question we don't have. We have another question in this place. But we don't have that fifth question. Interesting. Let's, let's go a little further. In terms of the five cups, the <laughs> four cups. We have four cups corresponding to the four Lashon of like Gulah. But there happens to be a fifth Lashon of Sagaula, which is also omitted, which is? Vavese. That Hashem not only just extracted us from Egypt and took us to Him, but He actually brought us into the land of Israel, the <coughs> culminating step, which is sort of quietly omitted. We don't have full redemption. That cup sits on the side. Notice, of course, that um, when it comes to arami Avi, Ovi, we quote the first four Psukim, but the one that we leave out, there's a fifth pasuk. Listen to how it goes. This is actually in the fifth and last source on the page. Here's, here's, the, here's everything. This is the whole Haggadah. This is the whole main cross-section of the Haggadah. That's Pasuk 1, Pasuk 2, Pasuk 3, Pasuk 4. And look at the last one. And look at the last Vavesi, that's our vavasi, vavasi, right? Again, the omitted fifth, the missing fifth. There's the missing fifth in terms of the cups corresponding to the vavasi, which is omitted. There's the omitted Manishtana, that fifth question which relates to Korban Pesach, in the stage of Abes HaMikdash. We miss the fifth of the Psukim of here, which relates to being brought into the land of Israel again. Do you see what's happening over here? We're talking about our, our resolution from exile, but in a certain sense there is an om- a mission. That God is not complete. It's waiting. It's almost there, but it's not quite there. We remind ourselves on this night that we re- were redeemed, but there's still a lot of work to go. There's a missing fifth. And of course, what's the fifth son? The Babish Rabbi famously says that there are four sons and however bad they may be at the table, there's still one who's not there. And until that fifth son does, does, um, joins us, we will still be lacking. That's the missing fifth of that four. Is that four as well? All the way through the Agara. Uh, incredible, incredible. Just what's not said. Isn't Agara over there? The fives and fours. The sun. That's the sun. That's the sun. That's the sun. Unfortunately today. Unfortunately today, we don't have to look too far to find that fifth son. Unfortunately, today, we don't have to look too far to understand that we may have wonderful sederim, but who's not at the seder? Who's not at the seder? There are many people today who are not the same. many people don't even know what the seder is. It used to be that Pesach was one of those holidays which everybody knew about. We're losing it. We're losing it. There are people out there who don't even know what Pesach is. There's not even the cultural overhangs. The that's what that's, this is beyond that. Yeah. This is beyond. Yeah. He doesn't even know. Oh. He's not there. That's the missing fifth over there. And that's why it's not a complete redemption right now. It's not the Vavesi. It's not uh, that Hashem brought us into the land. It's not the fifth cup of redemption yet. It's not the fifth the Let's take a little further. a beautiful agar, which Talia was uh, which Thaddeus, um, kind enough to share with me, um, called Mataka which points out that when we say Pesach, Matzah, Mar, by that time most people are really on, in, in high gear in terms of getting towards the meal. So it's hard to appreciate what's really going on at that point in time. But they notice that there is a little bit of an idiosyncrasy in that section. If you want to chronolo- chronologically put that section in order, what would be let's say we have Pesach, Matzah, Mar, so what would be the order in terms of what we'd represent first? What should come first? The Maroc because it was better then. What, what would you think? Pesach... Pesach or Matzah, maybe, maybe Pesach the Korban. And then Matzah as we're going out. That sounds beautiful, right? Everything works together. The problem is that Robin Gabniel says, what order is it? Pesach, Matzah, and then morrow at the end. Wait a second. If you're telling a story, that's a little bit out of order. It says, it says, um, it says the Matzah, or he quotes the Qasaribi in a most phenomenal, phenomenal idea. The Gemara says that on every Friday night, we come to Shabbos, and we say, And the last word of that, of that paragraph is... Vayi, no, fash. And God rested. He says, however, because on Shabbos we receive an elevated extra neshama, and at the end of Shabbos we lose that, there's a, that, that word really represents a certain sense of negativity. Vay, da'av, Nafsha. Whoa, we lost a nefesh. Vayi, no, na fash. Vay nafsh. It went away. Right? There's a certain sense of, of bitterness that the neshama goes away. Problem is, when do we say Vayi, fash? Friday, Friday night. That's not when the Neshama is going away. That's when the Neshama is joining us. Says the Kotz but of course. It's only after a week of work that we get out of that week. That we get the Nishama. So say, do you appreciate what the, what the void of the previous week? There's a story told about a Ravina Fuller who is asked to meet a person who is in jail. And the person is in jail because that, uh, the law is that if a person withholds a get in Israel, they're put in jail. The person was still maintaining this. He was for many years not giving a get. So this Rav was asked to. Rav Rubin was asked to, to speak to the person in, in jail. He comes in. He talks to him, and he says to the prison, uh, the prison warden. He says, "You know, this person's not going to give a get. He is totally satisfied with where he is. He's become accustomed to his surroundings. He's got a he's got a workout room. He's got his schedule. He's happy where he is. I'll tell you what you should do. Release him for three months and take him back in." And we well, can't do that, they, put, they, they went high and high. went all the way to Knesset, they allowed it. They put him on parole for three months and brought him back in. Immediately when he came back in, he gave the gift. Because when he realized what real life was about, that's when he understood what prison was. At the end of the week, when you we get the Nesham Yasei, realize what the week really was. It goes Pesach Matzah Umarar, because sometimes you only appreciate the bitterness of exile once you get out of it. You have to have the Pesach and the Matzah there first. And then, ah, then you understand how terrible a life you're leading because we, under, we, we rationalize, we get used to it. That's the life we live. Only when you get out, then suddenly the moral kicks in backwards. Let's, let's, let, let's uh, close one perhaps very, very beautiful thought. I, I heard this thought in the name of Rav Benjamin Blech, who is, a beautiful, who is an incredible scholar, speaker and writer. And um, I was fortunate enough. I just wanted to clarify it with him. And um, I work I work in in Yeshiva University, and I uh, have the opportunity of seeing him um, quite often. And um, I I had I was fortunate to be able to speak to him this afternoon and just confirm this particular thought. So it's right right from where it came from. You see, this is the this is the structure of everything we did beforehand, and then we move into after we finish the three haggados, right? Haggadah one, two, one A, one B, two, three. What's the next thing that happens? Straight after, what do we do next? The next thing is, the first paragraph of Halal, right? And what do we do? We do, uh, we do the entire Halal, we're ja- dancing and joyous, and then we eat, right? Not exactly, right? Because what happens is, is that we, we start the Halal, and then, then we eat, and then we carry on Halal, and then we do the rest of Nir right? It's a very strange proceedings. Usually, the, Usually the protocol is, at least in the morning, is that there's an issue to eat before uh, before a person's davened. Meaning a person needs to, it's, uh, uh, it's based on a pasuk, that, um, that a person shouldn't eat on the blood, which, so to speak, means to say you shouldn't start eating before you've asked for your life from God, right? Put things in perspective a little bit. So um, that's 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 the halacha. And so you would expect over here, before we start the, the our part of things, we should goes through the set. And even if you're going to say, you know, the set is very long, so you can't manage that, but at least, okay, eat at the beginning to get you through, and then do the whole thing together. But the splitting up is very strange. Right? And even if you're going to split it up, then you should try to find a more of a, uh, of a, um, you know, more of a comfortable spot to do it. You know, the middle of Hallel, where else in the year do we ever split up Hallel like that? We do half Hallel, we leave out a paragraph here and there. We never split up the Hallel in the middle of it. Very unusual. It's almost like the halal needs to include the meal. This is Ra'a Blech, the most unbelievable thought. You see, on this night, as Ra'a spoke about, this is the night of connection with Hashem. This is the night where we reconnect as individuals and nationally with God. God's name, which the, the name which we do not pronounce, is a yud and a hay and a vov and a hay. About right? four letters. The omniscient. What does that name really mean? What is, we don't understand the full depths, but we are told that that name is a is composite of three words. ha'yver, the Viyihiyya. Was, is, and will be, which means to say that God in His full expression pervades time. God expresses Himself in past, present, and future all at once. Time is a constraint we live within, God lives without that constraint. And that's why, of course, the letters match up, right? There's all the letters of Haya, Hover, in that name, fascinatingly enough, past, present, and future. It's interesting to note that the Haggadah itself breaks itself up in that way as well. Everything preceding the meal is about the past, it's about where we were, either as of the you know, on a spiritual plane, or in servitude, how Hashem took us out, all the different Makos, it's all about the past, it's about what was. Even the Hallel that we talk about, the first two paragraphs are that God sees the lowly ones and lifts them up, but says Israel that as we went out of Egypt and Hashem saved us, it's all about the past. And then what happens we do, we stop and we have the meal. At the end of the meal we say, We say, God, you know what? The greatest expression of God's being with us right now, right here, is the fact that He feeds us on a daily basis. We stop to eat and we thank Hashem for present. Noi saying, Lechem Lechel He is giving us food. We're experiencing His, His presence through the fact that He sustains us right here, right now. We move out of the past into the present. And then we hit the hinge. The hinge is a paragraph which is brought in later from the medieval times. Well, we, sorry, we finished the Hallel, the beauty of the beauty of the Hallel, But there's this paragraph of Shvoi Chamosra. Pour your wrath on the, on the, on the nations. This this very interesting, very un, uh, uncommon expression of the future vengeance. Because after we finish the meal, after we finish the past, or after we finish the present, we talk about the future. And it's all about Adir Hu Yivne Beis <laughs> Sabah Habar Birushalayim. It's about the future. And therefore the Seder night itself breaks itself out most naturally. With the first two paragraphs of the Hallel going earlier on that original experience. Our experience now and our experience that we hope to be if you want to take it to the last step, it would seem that the focus of the night of the Seder is in fact that future. Because if you were to choose when it would be the most appropriate time to do the Seder, it should be actually, not at night, but in the morning. After all, when did Israel actually step out of the borders of Egypt? was in the morning. So the Seder should naturally have been to commemorate the event in the morning. But we don't do that. Why not? We're commemorating the experience in the night. As we know, when Rabbi Penna was here he described this, that La Hagid Baboker Chastech, in the morning we talk about Hashem's chesed, it's apparent that God's around. The light's there, it's clear. But at night the time where we have to exercise emunah, where we don't see things clearly, and we hope to wish to will to aspire that things will be better. The Sadists put at night because we're still experiencing the night. We're anticipating for the future. So it has the past in it, it has the hayah, it has the Hayveh. but ultimately we end off with the yihiyah. When we talk about the future as well. That we hope for. Thank you very much.